Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. So are we saying that zombies are are real? When I see when I say, you know, zombies, I'm thinking, you know, Dawn of the Dead, like Right. What's the relationship there? I know obviously that's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Well, these sorts of creatures have existed for, you know, millennia in in human culture. Now, what what I do is again tie it back to the pre-flood world, you know, flesh eating and cannibalism was something that was rampant in the pre-flood world and that's one of the attributes of of, uh, zombies that you find or zombie-like creatures creatures like like ghouls and revenants could also to a certain extent be be included in that but a lot of uh, at least the introductory the introductory material centers around the afro-caribbean traditions in other words the the uh, voodoo traditions associated with zombies. Uh, voodoo traditions associated with zombies. With zombies. Hey guys, welcome back to Camp Ramon. Today's episode drops on Halloween and we have everyone's favorite resident scholar, Dr. Judd, back in the studio. If you've ever wanted to take a deeper dive into these topics from a scholarly biblical standpoint, Dr. Judd's courses are an incredible resource. And so we just wanted to dedicate some airtime to learning more about his programs. If you've been in this space for long, you know he's a living legend and there's no one better to learn from. And you can find out more about Dr. Judd's school, the Institute of Biblical Anthropology at drjuddburton.com. That's D-R-J-U-D-D B-U-R-T-O-N dot com. So, without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey, Doc, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Chris? I'm doing fantastic. As as we were, you know, talking about earlier, we're both nice and full on some some Mexican food. I had a burrito. You had some nachos. So, that's definitely some good good fuel for a good show. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this episode is going to be dropping on Halloween. So one mm-hmm. of my favorite Halloween candies is probably some people's like worst or, or most hated, but I love the candy corn. I think mm-hmm. it's the, is it uh, branches or, or what's the name of that company? Brock. Brock. Yeah. yeah. I, I love their candy corn. So I kind of want to keep this episode a little corny little candy corn just have fun with with the topic and so what i'd love to talk about tonight is i want to talk about your school the institute Mm -hmm. of biblical anthropology because you have some really interesting courses that touch on a lot of the things that we talk about regularly in the show 
giants mm-hmm. and witchcraft and and all that kind of stuff. And particularly, I'm particularly interested in your preternatural morphology certification. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind, can you just explain to me a little more in depth about like what that certification entails? Yes, <clears throat> certainly. Yeah, one of the functions of the the Institute of Biblical Anthropology is to teach coursework. It also serves as a platform for my research. Uh, but the you, you bring up the the hot potato uh, certification right now. That's the one that's really rock and roll for for a lot of uh, uh, new students. Is they're they're interested in um, <clears throat> what I've come to affectionately call the Monsters One Hundred and One certification. Uh, which is the the preternatural morphology preternatural because we're dealing with both supernatural and and physical aspects and morphology because we're building a kind of of taxonomy of these kinds of demonic manifestations and folklore and that really kind of distills the subject matter uh, uh, looking at it through the the biblical lens so there there's a a a virtual menagerie of, of these these kinds of creatures that are examined in the coursework. Uh, anything from uh, 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 vampires to werewolves to the, the first witches and witchcraft in general, the, the giants uh, of biblical uh, history, the fallen angels the demons the the chimera uh, of the pre-flood and post-flood worlds you also get uh, people get a sampling of of entities like ghouls and uh revenants which are 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 traditionally uh flesh eaters and blood drinkers and there, there's you really get a sampling of the the, the essential kinds of 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 these sort of folkloric creatures along the lines of the examples that I just gave. But e- each course is designed to facilitate a kind of conversancy, uh, not only from the point of, of the scholarly and folkloristic and myth- methodological literature, uh, but also from the perspective of the Bible. Nice. That's awesome. So I have my bachelor's degree in Bible from Cairn mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. They didn't offer any of those courses. <laughs> <laughs> and if they had, I would have taken every single one of them as a part of my program. So I'm super excited to to start this course very soon. I know you're you've been working on basically revamping your website and kind of the form and function of the school. Is that right? Uh, yes, with with, uh, with the help of this talented guy named Chris, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's strange. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? That yes, is ironic. Uh, uh, I think he uh, and I, uh, I think he and I also share the same last name. If uh... yeah, I, I believe that's correct. Oh, okay. um, but uh, whether the pun was intended or not, it is a revamping. Uh, I like that. Uh, of the, the entire well you said to keep it corny i'm just going with the <laughs> revampiring of the <laughs> yep so uh yeah the, the uh i i worked well yeah well you bring up a really good point you know you're not you're not going to find coursework like this in in 
most, if not all seminaries. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I, I felt the call to start the Institute is, is because, you know, look, looking at these, these themes and uh, narratives and, and entities is important because they're all, they're all in one way, shape or form touched on in the Bible. They're part of the biblical narrative. Um, and as postmodernism and materialism and naturalism have crept into the seminaries in our colleges and universities, you, you know, a lot of this stuff gets peripheralized and just outright commodified as, as simply having cultural value and, and no sort of theological or supernatural uh, relevance. And that's just not the case. And so, you know, the, the way that I've explained it to people is that much of the, much of the coursework, not all of it, but the lion's share of it, uh, is, is sort of like Sunday school meets the X-Files. <laughs> nice. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. So yeah, you know, I've heard Heiser talk about in his experience going through seminary that he had, I think he, the way he describes this, maybe like one hour of one course. And like, when I say one hour, I mean like one hour of like lecture, not one right. credit hour where right. they discuss like angels. And that resonates with me because when I was going through my program, now granted, I wasn't at the, the master's level, but I was at the, the bachelor's level taking all the same courses that they do in a master's level, like mm -hmm. seminary, but just at the, at the bachelor level. And I remember, I can't remember what the class was, but we had one short lecture and discussion on angels and that was it. And it, mm -hmm. and it didn't even go in depth. It, it, I, from what I remember, it was like, Oh yeah, the Bible doesn't really talk about what these are a lot. I mean, it was like, so it was so vanilla and I was like mm -hmm. looking forward to that one particularly particular class that week. And I walked, I went, I walked away like super disappointed mm -hmm. because it was so vanilla. They're just not willing to take a deep dive. I don't even, I was going to say they're not willing to speculate, but we don't have to speculate because there's so much information in the scriptures, but they're just not willing to, to take a deep dive into that subject. So I think, I think what you're doing is, is freaking awesome. And I'm excited to, to actually start once you officially launch this new, this new format. Uh, I'm super excited yeah. to jump in. And so one aspect that, that I've been working with you on, um, as you alluded to earlier, as your tech intern, is we've been working on going from the format you had before where it was you kind of working more or less one-on-one -on -one with just a small handful of students. Yeah, no, LM, no learning management system, you know, ba basically, basically a, a, a sort of correspondence uh, you know, like, like in the, back in the day, they had correspondence courses that you did through the mail, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. basically facilitated with social media and email and things like that. Right. Which is super cool, but it limits you to a very small number of students that you can, that you can work with at that kind of one-on-one -on -one level. Right. And so the, the program that we are developing or that I'm developing along with you is, a self-paced program. 
So mm -hmm. when this thing launches, what you'll have is you'll have access to all six certifications. So there's 12 courses per certification. So that's 72 courses, if my math is right, mm -hmm. in total. And it's all going to be self-paced and it's going to be one basically a subscription or a, a affordable monthly membership and you can mm -hmm. go at your own pace all the lectures will be there where you can listen to the lectures do the quizzes and then are you still planning to have there's like a project that goes along with each certification correct is that right. the last thing that a student will do is the project yeah yeah ba basically the the way that i had done it up at this, this point is that students were writing you know presses or short papers uh you know for each each of the week's coursework okay we're, we're changing that to quiz work and then there'll be an end of end of the certification project where students will turn in a, a kind of summative paper of, of what they've what they've taken from the course uh insights that they've gleaned from it that's that sort of thing okay so that in that in and of, of itself not only smooths the process out on my end but it smooths it out for the students and as you point point out they they can you know they could take this at, at whatever pace they want to the one that i recommend recommend and the the one that is sort of outlined in the syllabi is is taking each course um a month at a time because they're all divided into four sections and that that's a doable thing you know each mm -hmm. each each course has a, a text that you follow and I, I people can certainly get hard copies and i've got links to things to get around that because i do use a lot of of classic texts in these fields but you know if you can do you know i have people asking me you know i don't know if i can do all the reading or whatever i'm like if you can do 20 or 30 pages a night you can do these courses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's not it's structured with academic rigor but it's not the kind of pacing that you're typically going to get you know in collegiate or uni university terms mm -hmm. yeah uh, and so you know people can what i recommend is that is that people can they certainly can double up on courses and take two a month. If they, I mean, if they're just really going ho about it, but what I recommend is taking each course month by month. And mm -hmm. if, if, you know, if, if students want to take longer, they certainly can, but to get the full benefit of each of the courses, it's best to follow the outline that's provided in the syllabus. Right. What I like about the self-paced option, as you mentioned, if someone, they really want to take the course, but maybe they don't have as much time instead of mm -hmm. taking, you know, four weeks per, per course, mm -hmm. they could take five or six, you know, they could kind of stretch right. it as they need to. Or if you've got someone, like you said, it's just super gung ho, they could take maybe as, as short of amount of time as like maybe three weeks, you know, if they're really right. kind of getting after it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I like the flexibility there. And one thing that's nice too, with way, you're doing the the month to month subscription is someone could cancel at any time. So if they just wanted to do one certification, let's say it took them the year to do the one, then it's or however long it took them, as soon as they're done with that one certification, they could cancel 
and then come back at any other point in the future if they wanted to, to take another certification and mm -hmm. work towards that certification. And then, you know, you may have some people, which I'm definitely going to be one of them, who keeps that membership and just works through and gets all of the certifications. And I'm low right. key really hoping that you'll give me an honorary doctorate so that I could <laughs> call myself Dr. Dr. Price. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. But um, yeah, I just like the flexibility there. I think that's really awesome. And uh, so tell me if you don't mind, I think one thing that'd be really cool with each one of those courses through the preternatural morphology, can you give mm -hmm. us like kind of the one big idea or takeaway from each one of those courses just to kind of wet our appetite a little bit? You, you basically sure. named all of them just, just mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, but mm -hmm. do you mind going down the line and just kind of giving given us a, a little taste of each one of those? Yeah, certainly. The, uh, the introductory course is, um, is, is kind of a, um, it, it's, it's not just the, the, the folkloric stuff like the vampires and werewolves and stuff like that, but it's almost a general introduction to the world of the preternatural and the world of the occult. I use, um, William Godwin's Lives of the Necromancers, which is actually a pretty comprehensive treatment of the subject. This, consequently, this is uh, this was the uh, father of Mary Shelley that wrote uh, Frankenstein. Oh wow! Uh, he was he was a pretty consummate scholar. Although I, yeah, he he devoted quite a bit of time uh, to these topics, and I, I've since found this particular text which I, I published a copy of in my bookstore. It's just a really good general reference to have. And so this sort of like lays the field, the foundation, if you will, to the rest of the courses, because you do get that smattering of, of, of mythology and folklore and stories about, you know, you get a few stories about the vampires, some of the werewolf material, a lot of witchcraft and ritual magic uh, is referenced. Uh, the various kinds of mythological creatures from a, a pretty wide swath of the old world. So that that's generally what, what the introductory course does is lay the foundation just in terms of, of the material. It's in the later courses that you begin to, you know, you, you get into the individual taxons, if you will, the vampire, the werewolf, uh, chimera giants and so forth, where you actually not only dig into uh, some of the source material, but you're also privy to, um, you know, the biblical perspective on these kinds of creatures and, and also where you might find them in scripture. So, you know, a lot of people start off that the really popular one after the introductory course that people like to do is the vampirology class, the, the, the one on vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it's kind of an eye-opening thing for a lot of people in the church, you know, to know that this sort of thing is actually discussed in the biblical text itself, but was also widely known in the biblical world. Uh, these kinds of en entities that stole life force and stole blood. But uh, again, you get a, a, a sense of the, the demonic origins of the vampire going back to the pre-flood world, the, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Uh, and those pronouncements uh, against the Nephilim 
that Enoch hands down after being given those judgments by God. And the uh, uh, it, it's just a it's it's a really fun course. The text is a classic. It's it's in my estimation, it's it's still one of the best books on vampires available. The the one that people usually follow up after that is the the werewolf class, mm. um, which uh, focuses largely on uh, a specific kind of were creature, the werewolf. But uh, we also uh, sort of on the periphery look at at other kinds of of were manifestations. Like uh, a lot of that is geographically and culturally determinate. So. Uh, depending on where you are you know in africa there are were hyenas and in ancient mesoamerica the olmec and the maya worship the were jaguar uh so it 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 just depends geographically and culturally but the werewolf is so iconic and so prevalent in many places around the globe uh that it's mere preponderance in terms of the accounts that we have of werewolfism lends itself to a, a, a course of study like this. And the uh, the text for that is Sabine Bering Gold's The Book of the Werewolves. Bering Gold is an interesting character in himself. He was an Anglican minister and a uh, ethnologist, but he's also the guy that wrote the hymn Onward Christian Soldiers. So the fellow that actually you know that hymn that we all grew up singing wrote onward christian soldiers understood that there was a demonic root uh to these kinds of things and he himself had actually had uh personally had had a werewolf experience wow um but his book uh and i'll certainly make make a reference to other texts as well uh, but his book is another seminal volume in the study of that subject and it, it's it's a really fun read. It's a really good read. Well, here's so here's what I'm wondering with those two courses: Are we going to learn like how to kill a like you got to stake the vampire right in the heart, and then with the werewolves, you got to shoot it with a silver bullet, right? Is that is that accurate? Is that a part of the course material? Well, I mean, yeah, it, because it's part of the it's it's part of the traditions. You learn about the kinds of of again culturally specific. Uh, dispatchments that are used to get rid of these things uh, ap- apotropaics as, as they're called in the uh in the academic world so yeah because that's part of the story um you do learn about that but wow okay uh, i was joking but i that's cool well i i mean there there are several you know popular ways to dispatch vampires in the in the folklore you know the stake through the heart the decapitation the burning uh, the use of uh, specific woods and these stakes like the uh, mountain ash and the uh, poplar, uh, the aspen, um, the uh, uh, but of course that 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 stuff in and of itself is interesting. But the the points that I'm trying trying to drive home is that 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 stuff really falls short in actually dealing with the demonic here which is actually the you know it's like you cut the head of the snake off the snake it's gone uh that, so that that's really kind of the philosophy behind these these courses but you know i mean again i know we're, we're, there's a corny element uh that we're dealing with <laughs> today so because that's part of the 
the lore, it is included in reference okay. in a lot of the text that I use. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, one of the, so this is a serious comment or question. One of the things that I'm, that I always wonder when I'm learning something, particularly going down this road, the last couple of years of the divine council worldview or the DCW universe, the things that I'm learning from guys like, like yourself, Dr. Michael Heiser, Timothy Alberino, is what do we do with this information? So it's great to learn about all these things, but in in your course, is it just, oh, this is just fun stuff to learn about? Or do you see this as a kind of training and equipping for the Christian to minister and to kind of you know, I, I, I love the, the monster squad from, from mm -hmm. back in the day. Right. Are you training and equipping people to go and kind of fight against the darkness? Well, yeah, again, on the serious note, that that's, that's the driving force behind coming up with this, this curriculum is because just statistically we're, we're, we're seeing more cryptid sightings and, paranormal activity being reported not only reported uh but you know everybody and their grandmother has a has a cell phone with a camera on it you know and so we're, we get a lot of real-time uh experiences uh that are reported that way and so there there is a kind of um i, I like the way that art bill used to put it on coast to coast he used to talk about a quickening you know, that there was a sense that we were barreling towards something that, and I think that show, his show helped bring a lot of this kind of thing to light. The fact that, that it did seem to be happening, you know, with greater frequency. Uh, and because these kinds of manifestations, you know, show up in the biblical narrative, and they're certainly part of the pre-flood world that Jesus alludes to in his warning in uh, Matthew, about his returning being like the the days of noah uh so it, it behooves us to to better understand these manifestations because after all they're they're part of the demonic realm you know they fit within the the uh stratagem of, of the demonic realm so yes this is a kind of training it is a kind of ministerial training this is another tool in the toolkit of of ministers that will become, I think, in, in years to come, increasingly more important. Awesome. So this is the, I'm just trying to think of like Vatican, how they train. There's, there's some priests that are trained for, for right. this type of stuff, as far as like exorcism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is kind of, as, as far as the preternatural morphology course, because you have other courses as well that are going to be things that are, a bit more similar to like some of the courses that I took getting my degree in Bible. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So what are, what are some yeah, of the other were, certifications? Yeah. There are these other, other programs, uh, other certifications that deal with uh, uh, there's a, a, a biblical anthropology, which is kind of the, it's kind of the flagship program of the Institute that covers um, the cultural context of the Bible, and you get a little bit of the supernaturalism with that as well, but you're going to be exposed to courses like New T Old Testament and New Testament. You'll be getting biblical geography and uh, the uh, exposure to anthropological perspectives 
uh, on the Bible, as, as well as some church history and a, a little dipping of the proverbial toe into the deep end of biblical languages. Okay. Um, so the, uh, there are the, I, I guess what you would say, more conventional uh, approaches uh, okay. to be found in, in other certifications. The, um, uh, the ancient Near East certification and the Mediterranean civilization certifications also sort of take a similar bent in that they're largely historical uh, in perspective. And so, you you know, they're, those are divided into sections where they cover the general histories and religious histories of areas like Mesopotamia and Egypt in the case of the ancient Near East, the Levant, Anatolia, but also have sections in those that deal with, with how those lands relate directly to the biblical world. Uh, same thing with the Mediterranean civilization, where you cover the the the, the Minoans and the Mycenaeans and the Greeks and the Romans. Same sort of setup there. You know, you get you get general histories and a discussion of of those their religious and mythological beliefs, and also how those lands relate to the biblical world. But the the ones that actually, I guess you might say, deal directly with the kind of of peripheral or marginalized topics uh, are the 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 one we're discussing with prominence today, the preternatural morphology one. But there's also a biblical demonology certification, which expounds on uh, uh, themes that are covered in preternatural morphology. And also, uh, I introduced the most recent introduction is the world mythology certification, which is a it is a survey of world mythology, but again, you're getting biblical insights. You're, you're looking at a lot of this stuff through the biblical lens uh, and not just the source material uh, that these myths emanate from. You know, I'm just looking through the different, the six course, the breakdown of, of the six courses mm -hmm. and the biblical anthropology course looks very much like many of the courses that I took in my Bible program. Sure. And so just looking through this, I mean, again, the, I have a bias, obviously I'm, I'm interning with you in the school, but with my experience, you know, I spent four years in university getting my degree in Bible with the focus in, in pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. And at a glance, this looks like this would be far more applicable to ministry than mm -hmm. the four-year degree I received in Bible and pastoral ministry. Yeah, it can certainly do that. And it, it's certainly, you know, for people who want to become more serious students of the Bible, you know, this is that's a really good place to start as well. Because like I say, you, you almost get a smattering of, of, of everything uh, in the biblical anthropology certification. Yeah. But I wanted to bring, you know, that was, like I said, that's that's really kind of the flagship program. And I, there are there are classes uh, that deal with some of the material. These other more um, uh, fringy, you might say, uh, perspectives, such as demonology and and giantology. Uh, but for the most part, you're dealing with the cultural context uh, of the biblical world mm -hmm. uh, and, and basically getting a familiarity with it. And 
look, I, you know, I, I designed this stuff with, you know, people from all walks of life in mind, you know, I didn't want them to be, I mean, and people can load up and, and, and take as much of this as they want to, but, you know, I, I didn't want people to be, to, to think that this was just going to be another academic degree that was going to take, you know, two to four years to complete or whatever. A person, like I said, if they get really gung-ho about it, could conceivably finish one of these certifications in six months. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I recommend the year approach because you're allotting yourself, you know, the time that's outlined in the syllabi. Right. But, you know, people can can go at their own pace, but it's designed to be finished relatively quickly. And it, it's a pretty deep immersion into the uh, the relevant material. Yeah, that's really cool. So I'm seeing here with the preternatural morphology, you have a course titled Giants and then another course titled Demons. Mm-hmm. So with Demons being the disembodied spirits of the Giants, what's the difference kind of between those two courses there? Well, yeah, the uh, that that's the you're referencing the Giantology course there. And um, basically what I'm doing is I'm looking at the that course looks at the the pre-flood and the post-flood giants uh, in terms of ethnology, in terms of, of a sort of comparative anthropological approach to the culture of the giants. Now, in, by contrast, the, the demonology class, the class on demons, picks up where that leaves off. And so you sort of backtrack to... Uh, a, a discussion that centers first around the, the pre-flood Nephilim and then the other post-flood tribes like the Rephaim and the Anakim, the Zamzamim, the Avim, so forth and so on. And what their, what their collective fates are uh, in terms of, of, of those, their disembodied spirits actually becoming demons. And so about half of, of the, the demonology course under the under the preternatural morphology certification uh, deals with the, the sort of culture uh, cultural connection back to the giants pre-flood and the post-flood giants and then the second half uh, the last two weeks are basically looking at the uh, the demonic hierarchy and the culture of these these entities as spiritual beings okay. uh, uh, um, so those classes, those courses are certainly linked by virtue of, of the demons being the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim and later tribes of giants. Uh, but they're, they're distinctive insofar as that one is dealing with the, one deals almost exclusively with their physical manifestation on earth. The other deals almost exclusively with their spiritual manifestation on earth. Okay. Wow, that is super cool. I cannot wait to start this course. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm looking so forward to this uh, starting soon. So I see there's another there's another course titled Zombies, and you mentioned it earlier. So are we saying that zombies are are real? Like when I see when I say you know zombies, I'm thinking you know Dawn of the Dead. Like right. What's the relationship there? I know obviously that's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Well, these sorts of creatures have existed for you know, millennia in, in human culture. Now, what, what I do is, 
again, tie it back to the pre-flood world. You know, flesh eating and cannibalism was something that was rampant in the pre-flood world. And that's one of the attributes of zombies that you find, or zombie-like creatures, creatures like, like ghouls and revenants could also, to a certain extent, be, be included in that. But a lot of, at least the introductory, the introductory material centers around the Afro-Caribbean traditions. In other words, the, the uh, voodoo traditions associated with zombies. And in that respect, they're they're almost a kind of automaton, you know, or 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 or, or they're certainly subservient to the, the 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 priest that creates creates the zombie, but they're also connected to this larger idea of revenants and automatons that placate victims or or steal their you know eat their flesh or or convert them into a similar kind of creature. Mm. So again, it's about half and half because there's so much uh, that's been done in the field ethnographically by anthropologists like Wade Davis, uh, whose book, The Serpent and the Rainbow, was actually made into a, uh, a, a movie back in the 80s. It had Bill Pullman in it in the title role, but he played this ethnobotanist from uh, Harvard who was seeking out the, the zombie powder. They were They were looking at using it for you know, applying it for medical, medical uses. Uh, but the rest of it deals with these other kinds of creatures uh, that you find in, in, well, the Arabic world was rampant with them. You find them in, in ancient India uh, and China. And so you get, you know, kind of a sampling again of, mm-hmm. of the various kinds of zombie-like creatures while looking at them through the biblical perspective, tying them back to their demonic origins. Are we talking about like, literal like flesh and blood creatures or what you might consider like a spiritual creature that kind of manifests in the physical at times well uh, there again we're dealing with both of those that that's the reason that this is entitled preternatural morphology because you have you've got a supernatural spiritual element to it and then you also have this sort of physical manifestation Mm -hmm. uh to it which again is concurrent throughout most of these classes and points us again back to the pre-flood world, mm-hmm. back to this um, this uh, you know kind of watcher tech that the Nephilim I- inherited, this knowledge of being able to manipulate matter. You know this this seems to be something that that demons have refined to an art in terms of of you know either indwelling flesh or manipulating matter in, in order that they can manifest and to some degree state those desires that they'd had when they were in, in fully physical bodies. Okay. Wow. That is just wild to think about because, you know, for, for most of us hearing this, there's like, there's a mental block of thinking that, you know, all of those kind of things like vampires and werewolves and zombies, that it's just, pure mythology and i think even most people have a misunderstanding of what mythology is when we when i hear mythology i think because of how i grew up i instantly think like just made up like make believe Mm -hmm. but it's actually rooted in like truth and history from different cultures right right yeah that that word myth probably one of the 
the most abused words in, in Western languages. Uh, yeah, like you say, we use it as a synonym for a, a falsehood or fallacy, something like that. Uh, a, a sort of fanciful, fanciful, rhapsodic, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, when in actuality, if you, you you backtrack it through the etymology to uh, the Greek word muthos, from which it derives, uh, this this means story. Um, and, and typically, these stories, and even the ancient peoples knew that they were connected to some sort of of historical anchor. In other mm -hmm. words, experiences that happened in real space and time. And so, yeah, our, our, not only our usage, but our, our misunderstanding of what myth actually is. You know, it's, it's not even up for debate that myths typically prove some kind of nugget of historicity. I mean, just, just look at uh, Gilgamesh. We thought that he was just a literary device uh, that the Sumerians uh, put forward in one of their epics. And then we find his name on the Sumerian kings list as the king of, of Uruk. You know, for the longest time, we thought that the city of Troy was was just a creation of Homer for his epics. But Frank Calvert and uh, Heinrich Schliemann uncovered Troy back in the 1880s and 1890s. So, you know, those are a couple of examples, just a couple of, of a myriad of examples that we could go into about how myth is, is grounded in a certain kind of, of historical anchoring. And that was certainly understood by ancient peoples, and it's been completely, almost completely mangled because of naturalism and uh, the Enlightenment movement uh, during the, the 18th century, the attempt to peripheralize everything that was religious or supernatural. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that, that yeah, you're right, that word has been, has been dealt a, a severe blow, uh, just ideologically speaking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wild. So what it sounds like the the revamping pun intended of of the school here <laughs> is it it's almost like the Netflix of we'll say bot for lack of a better word, like Bible courses. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I like that. That's like an that's a very apt description because people can they can subscribe to to this stuff for however long they want to. So in that respect, it's sort of like the, you know, the big streaming services that, that are mm -hmm. out there. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, m my hope is people, because you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Right. And for people that sub subscribe, you know, that's basically, you know, that funds the war chest, essentially, you know, that funds potential projects, you know, for the kind of kind of research that people have, have come to associate with me and the kind of research that I feel called to do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Does someone have to apply to become a student of the school? How does that work? No, that uh, we've streamlined that process. People can just, uh, you know, they can select whatever certification, you know, they want to go into and pay the membership fee and you've got access to the content. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. You did say it's like the Netflix. So you, you mm -hmm. sign up, become a member, and then you have access to, to everything. Um, right. And so how much does it cost to be, to be a member? Uh, I believe the process we've established is $27. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. You're right. 27 a month. And then you've already talked about how people can take, they can take multiple courses at a time, but you recommend taking one course 
at a time through working through a certification. But I know too, there's going to be some people that may just want to cherry pick courses from different certifications. And so mm -hmm. if someone is cherry picking, I'm going to assume that let's say they cherry pick for a while, but then they've, they've mm -hmm. end up going through all 12 courses of a particular certification. They're still going to mm -hmm. get that certification, right? Once they complete the 12 courses, no matter what order they right. kind of go in. Right. As, as long, as long as they're there, those are the 12 courses that are prescribed for that particular certification. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Cause I know, I don't, I mean, I know myself, I might intend on going, you know, through all 12 for one particular certification, but I might be in a season in life where one particular subject just really catches my eye or I'm really fascinated in, and I want to jump over and, and learn about, you know, this one, mm -hmm. this one class with mm -hmm. one particular subject. So I like having that, that flexibility and that freedom. So how do, how do we sign up? That'll all be done through the website. You know, people can just go in and you essentially Essentially, you just pay for the coursework, uh, the access to the certification through the membership, and mm -hmm. you'll be given a, a, a code and you'll have access to the members area. Yep. Yep. Cool. Oh, we should say that the website is drjudburton.com. That's D-R-J-U-D-D-B-U-R-T-O-N.com. Right. And I'll also have the, uh, once I've reestablished my domain, I'll, I'll have the forwarding for that and people can still access it at tioba.org. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. And so it looks like there's, there's a couple of other perks of, of being a member here. Are we going to have merch doc? Are we going to have some banging like shirts and hoodies and hats? Is that what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, from what I understand, coffee mugs and uh, coffee at some point. In time. Oh, so you're you're telling me that there's going to be a possibly a Burton blend, your very there, own Burton blend very, of coffee. Very possibly, yes. There's some variation on that theme. Beautiful, I love it. I love it. And then a monthly group chat via Zoom for members. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, I'm sold. Sign me up. Take my money. I love this. I can't wait. To, I can't wait uh, for this thing to be launched. So you can go to drjudburton.com right now and and take a little bit of a, a, a look at everything that we've been discussing. There's a breakdown of all of this on the website. And there's a couple spots where you can sign up to be on the email list. And you'll be if you sign up on the email list, you'll be the first to know when the the relaunch is when we go live with this thing and doc the the very first certification that's going to be available is the preternatural morphology course that's and, that's right and we'll, we'll add the other ones as we go my, my hope is that we'll have all that in place by the end of the year i don't see uh, I, I don't see why why we why we wouldn't and and yeah. what are we looking at general time frame was for the launch of the preternatural morphology certification uh we're looking at at uh, mid-november at the at the earliest poss possibly towards the end of the month but but i'm optimistically going to say the middle of november okay okay so mid-november awesome man mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to it i can't wait well do you you know what seeing as how it's uh halloween the day that this episode is going to drop can you just 
I think one of the biggest questions in a lot of Christians' minds are, is it, is it wrong to, to celebrate Halloween? And when I say celebrate Halloween, what I mean by that is, is it wrong for, for people to, to put on costumes and to go trick-or-treating? What's your, what's your that, opinion on that? Well, and I, I certainly I won't belabor the point I, I, on on the history of Halloween, which is something that I've spoken with, spoken on extensively. And I think the listeners to the podcast will be familiar with my my lectures and stuff on the topic of Halloween. And I, you know, certainly there's there's a, a tradition of wickedness there that's ancient uh, that sort of underlies Halloween. A lot, I think a lot of a lot of it has to do with the imagery uh, for believers. It's it's what sort of imagery are you using around this time? Um, if it's sort of harvest themed and fall themed, well that that's pretty innocuous, you know. Or if it's you know if your dre- your kids are dressing up as cartoon characters or something like that, that's pretty innocuous. It's the darker, more macabre stuff that's the in- the, you know, the appearance of evil that scripture sort of admonishes us to avoid, uh, that I think people get into, um, trouble with. And, and I know a lot of people are, are, are almost worried about like worshiping the devil by accident. Um, you know, I think one thing we have to keep in mind is that all 364 days have always belonged to God. I don't, I don't think we need to concede territory, in terms of sacred space or sacred time to the devil. But that doesn't mean, you know, conversely, that doesn't mean that it's not a time when, you know, you, you have particularly Luciferians and Satanists uh, who have adopted this, this day as one of their high Sabbaths, one of their high holy days, which is a tradition that's loosely connected to some old world traditions of, of witchcraft. Um, and so uh, again, like I say, there there is that that wicked root to it that that's, that's evil and ancient. You know, if you're, I, I think if you're steering clear of the evil imagery, uh, then it you know how is that different from a costume ball that you might go to, you know, at another time of the year? I think a lot of you know, and 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 what it comes down to, Chris, I think is that people have to make the decision based on their own conscience. If you feel the Holy Spirit leading you not not to celebrate this, then don't don't do it. If you feel right. convicted not to do it, then, don't, then do it. Personally, the older I get, the more that I I I feel sanguine about distancing myself from that kind of imagery around this time of the year, just because you know, knowing what we know about the supernatural worldview and and the sort of divine counsel approach to, to supernaturalism. You know, th- th- these are not images to be played with and and parodied, uh, and, and, and indeed caricatured. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think my class, my my, my program, natural morphology, makes a good case for why that's a that's a reality. Uh, but you know, if people want to get together and you know exchange candy or, or or whatever, you know, who am I to tell them not to? It's just. I think going back to that New Testament admonishment of avoiding the appearance of evil uh, is something that should be on people's mind, believers' minds in particular around this time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you. I think that 
if it violates your conscience, don't do it because then for you, that's going to be sinful. But that if you want to, you know, if you want to, again, to your point, as long as you're not dressing up like, you know, ghouls and goblins, but, you know, if you want to dress up like a, you know, a more, a comic book character or, you know, one of your favorite TV show or movie characters or something, assuming, assuming they're not a ghoul or goblin type of thing and, and kind of go trick or treating that, again to your point you're not going to be accidentally worshiping the devil and so yeah no I, I think it's a it's a fine conversation to have i think we should be constantly kind of checking ourselves on our motives and our actions and seeing like how do they line up with scripture like are we good here mm-hmm. i think that's a really mm-hmm. healthy thing to do on a regular basis about a lot of things because a lot Absolutely. of things that that are not inherently evil can become sinful. You know, going to the gym, going to the gym is great. Exercise is good for the body, but if it becomes about vanity and just purely outward appearance, then I think that can be, that can be sinful there. And and you can, you can open the door to, to demonic influence, you know, through Mm -hmm. something as innocent as, you know, exercise. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote, you know, something we all have to keep in mind is that, yes, God is love, but the there's a danger even in, in that, um, you know, of that being manipulated by the demonic and sort of turned on its head so that love becomes God. Mm. And he, he explicated in a number of his works, you know, how that was a trap that a lot of people fall into. Uh, and, and consequently, I think it's one that we've seen in, in the modern church. You know, I think I think love has become God to, you know, a lot a lot of congregations. And that's that's something that we need to be mindful. You know, it, it, it doesn't just deal with 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 making these these awful malicious entities, you know, points of mm-hmm. idolatry. But that that, you know, as you point out, you know, it could be it could be anything. Right. Awesome. Well, Doc, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. You know, I've been making the joke a lot that with you being a, an official guest co-host on Camp Herman, that you are mm-hmm. you are a, a guest host on the show all the time, some of the time. <laughs> um, I kind of took that from uh, Anchorman, where he says that Cologne works seventy percent of the time, every time. Um, yep. <laughs> stealing that that just goes there have been studies there yeah there have been studies but um you know what i'm i'm looking we're, we're gonna be in merkel and uh at the time this recording drops so i guess i'll see you still there chris yeah can you hear me all right it looks like you're back i can hear you mm-hmm. yep you said there have been studies and then you cut out oh i i, I was it, it was i'm back it looks like i, I don't know what that was uh, it, the signal strength is fine i'm not exactly yeah sure same, what that is. same here just an interruption so i can edit yeah. this part. you were saying there's study oh, i was i was yeah i was quoting uh that line from anchorman that there have been studies done 60 percent of the time it works every time yep <laughs> yeah. that's right that's right well doc i know you've got to go and i've got to run at the time this drops on Halloween, I'll be about, mm-hmm. I don't know, a few days out from seeing you there in Merkel. So I'm looking forward yes, to looking forward coming to that. and Absolutely. visiting with you. Yep. Awesome. 
All right, Doc. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Godspeed, my friend. Alrighty. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.